Welcome to Capital Radio by Funds. I'm Liz. And I am Lika. And in this podcast, we demystify the world of private equity and venture capital. As a globally active fund placement agency, every day we meet interesting people from all over the world. We want to share their stories with you. Our guests are experienced investors and fund managers that will tell us what it takes to enter the black box of private equity. This is the last episode of season one of Capital Radio, and we're going to do things a little differently. Today's guest will be our very own managing director, Catalin Gayash. But as we are perhaps a little biased, we've invited our friend Sebastian Tupi, who helped us put together this season of Capital Radio to ask the tough questions. Yeah, so a bit more background about Sebastian. He's a community builder, storyteller and strategist, and he has a real passion for startups, technology and social impact. Currently, he dedicates his time to designing programs that help startup founders, corporates and governments to build inclusive and sustainable ventures. Well, from here, we'll hand the mic over to Sebastian and Katalin. Thank Liz. Thank you, Lika. And now I have the pleasure to be interviewing Katalin Gayesh for the last episode of this season one of Capital Radio. So Katalin is the managing director at Seafunds, a boutique yet globally active fund placement agency for diverse asset classes like venture capital, private equity, private debt infrastructure and real estate. Now, Seafunds prides itself as being a bottom-up placement agency. It operates out of Amsterdam with a diverse and international team, connecting over 400 limited partners to the GPs in their network. Next to Seafunds, Catalin is also an EU Horizon 2020 proposal reviewer and innovation expert who has years of experience working in the EU Commission and various stakeholders in the technology landscape. Hi, Catalin. It's a real pleasure to be with you here today. Hi, Sebastian. <laughs> Thanks. So let's get right into it, right? And I have a few questions for you. Could you tell us a little bit more about what pushed you to launch Seafunds five and a half years ago? Sure, happily. Yeah, so I was, yeah, back then very much um, searching for intelligence and freedom. And uh, yeah, the job that I had back then in the city of Amsterdam, that was full of limitations. And yeah, I wanted to be very independent, to take my own decisions and explore the world. Yeah, as a child, I was also very attracted to have my own shop, you know, like to have my own enterprise. So, and I like to deal with uncertainties. I'm very much attracted, like uh, if it's an insurmountable, huge, big problem, then I'm attracted to that. Yeah, I wanted to create something relevant and leave behind, like something for also for the society, to create a place where people come to work with joy. Yeah, and so in sort of having this big ideal for what you wanted to to create, right? What ended up building C funds the way that it was? Because if I understand correctly, the company's changed quite a bit since then. Like, what brought you to the first, uh, you know, one version of C funds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the. Um Backbone of Seafunds is always fundraising. First, we started with startups, uh, also with EU grants and uh, investments. Uh, yeah, that's a very vulnerable environment. As you can imagine, many startups are failing and there is lots of heat and excitement, but uh, many of them are just, uh, yeah, they just won't make it. And I could see this suffering. Whereas now in private equity, it's more like we work with very big uh, capital distributors that are very sustainable and we are just the intermediaries between them and the new fund managers. So it's a much different world. So I really enjoy the 
private equity. And, but I think it was necessary also to work with a lot of startups and scale-ups uh, to see their business idea, their strugglings. But definitely what brought us further, it's also, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm very much attracted to big tickets, to uh, like to big investment funds. And uh, I really thought that, uh, yeah, if you can raise 3 million, 8 million, 10, then my key question was, what does it take to set up an investment fund of 100 million? What is behind? What are the secretive tools? And um, I can tell you it's not that difficult, yeah, if you know the right relations. And uh, EU grants and um, it's a very mechanic process, you know, writing and uh, also raising investments. It's also a different toolkit. But now what we have is a a very serious relationship management and that uh, requests you to know the person, know the mandate, you know, the investment tastes and favors. Is it for real estate? Is it for venture capital? And I really enjoy this metrics of knowledge, like uh, you operate always in between nodes and you are the connector. Absolutely. And I mean, in this world of connector that you're just describing, right, and understanding how those people think and what they're looking for, what are their attributes and how you can sort of connect the right individuals together. I think that over the years, this fund placement landscape has been historically dominated by a relatively small number of pretty large players. And C-Fund on the other end is a relatively young, sort of nimble and smaller placement agency. Do, do you see it as a disadvantage? Mm, yeah, it's also a work in process because to set up a good placement agency, it requests 10 years because then you have also the success, uh, you know, the track record, the infrastructure. I don't see it as a disadvantage. It's also a huge advantage because, you know, we also bring lots of freshness and high level of execution in our process. So when you work with C funds, you don't pay for the big brand, but for the level of execution to have your LP meetings, to have your pre-marketing well designed and articulated. So we have lots of uh, hands-on knowledge in the team and we are very agile. So we move very fast. If we have a new investment fund, you get very fast uh, advice and set up and uh, we are really up to speed. And I think what is very important to have the infrastructure behind these LP meetings and the relationship management, so good CRM, the right data, and that we have done uh, already three years ago. And that makes us also, fuels us with our growth. Absolutely. And so you've mentioned a couple of elements already, but what would you say is sort of your biggest differentiating factor? What do you bring to the table that other placement agency maybe cannot? Yeah, I think it's the VC culture that we have a very short response time and uh, really strong in deal making. And other placement agents can be a little bit like a black box and not giving so much transparency in your processes. You know, how many intros have been done? What is the process? And we have a very transparent uh, campaign tracking tool. And I think what we also bring to the table is the crispiness. It's more like the young team, very dedicated, super interested, very high energy. 
and they don't take this place for granted. They all enjoy it every single day, and so do I. And definitely this chemistry is uh, very difficult to find if you have more like a settled, bigger brand, you know, out in the market, launched as a spin-off from a big investment bank 20 years ago. You can see them also sometimes even yawning, you know, like, okay, the next fun. So it comes in different shapes and sizes with obviously advantages and, and drawbacks in, in all, right? So what do you find most fascinating about working with GPs and LPs? The most fascinating, I find the personalities and the psychology, because you really can meet with uh, huge egos, <laughs> also both from the capital allocators, so the LPs, but also the GPs, they have very heavy trajectories. Uh, you know, such a GP, they saw the world, they invested in so many startups, unicorns. And I really enjoy speaking with these entrepreneurs and also the capital allocators, the LPs who are often more rigid, bureaucratic and more stiff. I definitely enjoyed the psychology because you would say, oh, it's very rational and prescribed, you know, that you have to tick all the boxes, but it's not. It's more like, is it the right timing? Are you contextual enough or not? How do you wrap the offer? You know, what are the incentives around? Um, how do you introduce the fund personally with a call? So definitely I enjoyed that it's a very strong psychologic game yeah. and it's not like only ratios and calculations and fund performance but it's more like do you know the right person is it the right time to introduce is the marketing good enough to kick it off so i definitely enjoy the interpersonal side in this industry much more than i ever expected here yeah. indeed right All because it's very colorful here yeah. every single day here yeah. No, certainly. And even though we're talking about the financial industry, there is a huge like human connection aspect to, to what you're doing, obviously. I mean, you, you've just mentioned a few uh, potential misconceptions, right, around some of the things that people would expect coming from, from private equity. Are there other elements that, uh, you know, people think about uh, around fund placement that you believe might not really represent the reality yeah. of what's going on in the industry? Yeah, I think people are often biased that we are the whole day just calculating and not, uh, it's also a very qualitative business. You know, you need to see what is your investment strategy, your competitive advantage in the market. So it's not all about figures. It's also about brand consistency. It's about how you articulate your message, the USPs. And it's also not just about very fast returns. It's mo also more about um how you're going to transform the society, maybe with health tech, with some important tools like cardiology, for example. And definitely everybody's asking, so you work in private equity. So the next step is that you just get very wealthy. And I said, it's not like you just work only with very wealthy people. And the people that we work with, they have very good education, that's for sure. But they also just worked very hard to achieve what they have. And uh, also with C funds, the, it's a very lucrative business. I can say I really bet it well, but it's not like um, it's like the golden mine yet. So it's definitely going to be there. But that's the misconceptions that people are thinking that now, sooner or later, like uh, you will have a private jet. But I said, it's not like that. Yeah, it's a misconception. It's hard work, very hard work. Yeah. 
I can imagine. And on that same vein, though, like uh, I think we're seeing that there is more and more capital that's becoming available, whether it's LPs, VCs, or even obviously startups, right? These days, it's the startups have raised more capital in the first half of 2021 than they have in, you know, a lot of previous years in the early 2010s. Do you sort of think or are you ever worried that what's happening right now in, in the venture capital and LP space isn't sustainable and that it'll come crashing down? No, on the contrary, I see lots of uh, confirmations that it's going towards uh, the right things like clean tech, climate change, uh, sustainability. We also have quite a few funds in our portfolio that are embodying this message, actually the majority. So, no, I'm not afraid of because if it's the fund is just pure capitalistic, like it's just about um, uh, returns, and there is no positive societal environmental impact. It will just evaporate. It will not make it anyhow, uh, because you need to add some positive value, either educational or green energy. So because all the competitors are doing that already. So if you have a fund that is just pure deep tech and just for the sake of um, returns, it's interesting to a certain um, community, but definitely in a lesser and lesser extent. Very interesting. And so things are obviously moving fast for C funds, as, you, as you've explained. And, and even though it's still relatively the beginning of, of your journey in the, in the private equity space, right? What are some of the challenges that you're really facing on, on a daily basis with your team? Yeah, so this world that we are in, it's all about exposure and all about personal meetings. And it's more like how we should allocate the resources, you know, to which event to go, which travel, because ideally I should be next month, end of next month in Dubai and the rest of the team in New York. And it's a very, very travel intense uh, industry, but you have to be smart and also make the right management steps, you know, where to go and where not to go. And as you're talking about those, uh, you know, management decisions and how you have to sort of deal with this uh, constant quick decision making about how you want to build your company, the realities of the industry, as we've talked about, is that it is heavily male dominated. How has it been for you as a solo female CEO and managing director to actually build this enterprise in the private equity space? It's a privilege. At first, it was very tough because, uh, yeah, I was really in the minority. But I think especially in LP relations and investor relations are such a caretaking business that it's a good example that I'm managing this company because it's a very female task, you know, to, to have a really high level of relations. And um, I think, yeah, also if I see women around me, they, they're just very charming. And also during negotiations, they can close the same deals as male partners. But of course, I also work um, with a huge pleasure with uh, all my male colleagues and uh, partners. So I don't have any prejudices uh, around that. I look for talent. So often I'm being interviewed and asked about this kind of diversity agenda. Yes, I have. But my diversity is more inclined towards international talents, so covering more continents. And of course, I empower ladies, you know, to have good positions in this organization, but I'm very much searching for high potential talent that can carry on lots of pressure. They're very creative and uh, entrepreneurial because they can close the deals and they can uh, 
untap uh, really new LP relations that we still need for C fund. So that excites me a lot. Yeah. That's really good to hear. And in a really funny way, as you're, as you're not a, I haven't even heard that yet, but one of the previous interviewee on the podcast has mentioned exactly the same thing that, of course, you care about diversity and it's something that needs to be more present in the industry one way or another. But that is not the only factor you're looking for and you won't jeopardize quality or obviously the sort of value that your employees or partners can bring for diversity is just another factor that you need to strive for on top of obviously always bringing the highest quality uh, employees and deals to the table. Can you maybe just tell us a little bit about some of the most difficult decisions that you've had to make on that journey, right? Whether it was when you transitioned from what C-Funds used to do to now being in private equity or in the last few years growing the business, like what are some of the really tough calls that you've had to make as a CEO? Yeah, three years ago, so I made a decision that uh, we did two things, uh, EU grants for startup scale-ups, which is very labor-intense and lots of technical writing uh, and raising uh, series uh, A and seed uh, rounds. And I made the decision that we cut it. Uh, so we cut this service line of uh, EU grants. And it, yeah, that, that's like you go into the darkness because then this you're very familiar with the process. But, um, you know, the succession rate was so small and we had... We We worked very hard and we were very close by with many of the proposals and we also won a few, but it's like such a small portion of winning proposals that I made a decision we cannot uh, carry on the pain anymore the, and, and the inefficiency. And I said, okay, I really want to work with VCs and raise capital for them from institutionals such as AIF. And even though I didn't really know the game yet, I said, this is what I want to do because... Um, Uh, yeah, there is a higher level of arbitrage and uh, that was a good uh, decision. But that was a very tough decision because you leave the known for the unknown. And you were, I was in a couple of weeks, days uh, in darkness and we didn't have still the right data, the connection, the procedure. So it takes time to set it up. But uh, I said, okay, let's quit it now. And you, while we set it up, we already developed the services and it was quite successful yeah and what is the moment when you started working with you know those funds and, and the lps and the gps that you're now sort of putting you know in, in contact with each other when's the moment where you thought okay this is going to work like i'm convinced that that what we're doing is on the right track and mm -hmm. and we can sort of like now go grow it and scale that mm -hmm. it also helped me that i had this aif the european investment fund background on writing proposals and mandate requests so we had already some swiss fund managers and then uh, we started to write uh, aif uh, mandate request for this uh, private equity fund and then i could already see that there is a huge demand for that uh, and then we also acquire the right data sets Uh, so that helped a lot for C funds to develop further. But then I saw from the market, hey, there is very positive uh, recognition and hey, how cool and nice. And I noticed there is also a big um, missing gap in the market. And that's like you have a placement agent that is quite agile, approachable. And it's also a little bit like a startup, uh, but uh, representing your own interest. And I wanted to play in this niche. 
No, I understand. It makes a lot of sense. And I guess having those early confirmations just push you in that direction of saying, we're going to go and explore and see. Yeah, and no way back to the proposals. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. One of the the last questions for this section of the interview that I have is, as the European investment landscape is now experiencing incredible growth, like what are you excited about uh, the most sort of looking ahead? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely very inspired by AI. I think AI will have a huge uh, transformative function in the society, also for fundraising, also the way of communicating. And in our working field, infrastructure, so infrastructure funds like uh, 5G, 6G funds uh, will be set up and and that will transform the whole society. And I'm very fascinated by... um, for example, Richard Branson's uh, Hydroloop, uh, you know, that, that what, what is being developed for humanity. And I, when I see this, I say, hey, he really changed the society. And that's like a really nice uh, best practice for me to follow as an inspiration that, um, yeah, transportation can be also changed very drastically. So I'm very interested in this area. And I'm also exploring for sea funds what it will mean and the implementation of AI in matching the funds with the capital deployers, with the LPs. Because, uh, yeah, you can only stay in this industry if you continuously innovate day by day. Great. Well, I can't think of a better way to, to end this section. Thank you so much for, for those answers. Very concise and and to the point. Now I'd like to go to a second section of this interview, which we call the fire round. So there's a few like uh, predetermined questions that I'm going to ask you. And I will simply, you know, expect the first answer that comes to your mind to each of those short statements. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll start with the first one. What is your morning coffee order? Just tea. Just tea. Okay, so if you could solve one problem in the world, what would it be? Um, starvation in Ethiopia. All right, so three traits that make a successful GP. Persistence, boldness, disproportionate. Okay, and the last one, what book are you currently reading? My everlasting favorite, uh, Tolstoy Anna Karenina. All right, thank you so much. And then um, now we're going to move to the last part of the interview, which is a very short, uh, quick fire round. I'm just going to make a few statements, like just one word, and then you'll tell me whether you think that this uh, word is overrated or underrated. Mm-hmm. So I'll just start with uh, with the first one. So overrated or underrated. Clubhouse. Overrated. In-person conferences. Underrated. Stroopwafels. Overrated. Cryptocurrency. Underrated. Sequoia Capital. Overrated. London. Underrated. And fund placement agencies. Underrated. Great. Thank you very much, Catalin. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Sebastian. It was really joyful. Thank you. 